Well, hi everyone. Great to be with you today. I know I might not be a familiar face to many of you, so let me quickly introduce myself. My name's Donovan, and along with my wife Heidi, we give leadership to the eldership team at Common Ground Constantiaberg. We've got two gorgeous little girls, Rachel, who's five, and Rebecca, who's three. Here's a little picture of uh, what we look like nowadays, but I'm sure you want to see the maskless version, so, so there we are all together. You may also be wondering, what's up with the shirt? Well, you need to know, in Constantiaberg, we do this thing that we call Hawaiian First Sundays, and it's exactly what it sounds like. On the first Sunday of every month, we go floral, and uh, honestly, it's not really a big thing. It's me and a few other guys that are doing it, but uh, I'm thinking it's going to grow, and I'm hoping it will. I also know what you're thinking. It's not the first Sunday. That was last week, but this is the gap I got, so I thought I'd go for it anyway. Well, whether you're gathering in person uh, you know, at one of the congregations that are able to gather, whether you're at home with another family or a couple of friends, or whether you're uh, alone at home, uh, I want to encourage you to make the most of, of these gatherings. I mean, I believe uh, what we've been learning about, that we're better together. And so my encouragement is to try get the most out of these gatherings. Maybe even right now, you can push pause for just a second. And if you're with any other people, why not just take a moment to pray together as a small group of people? Pray, just invite God into the meeting, invite God to speak to you through his word, uh, invite the Holy Spirit to come and move amongst you. Uh, maybe after the gathering finishes, you can just take a moment to share with each other one takeaway or, or something that you've discovered or God might have spoken to you about through the message before you just get on with the day and start hanging out. Hey, if you're at home alone, you can still do that. You can Zoom, you can WhatsApp call, and maybe just chat to one or two other people about what, what you got out of today and, and how you experienced it. Even better is you could find out a little bit more about our weekly life group gatherings that are happening in congregations across Cape Town. These gatherings are simply, they happen midweek, they meet in someone's home or on Zoom. Uh, different people might be doing different things. And it's basically just a bunch of people just like you gathering together. It's about connection, it's about friendship, it's about opening God's word, and it's about figuring out together what it means and what it looks like to follow Jesus in our time. So find out more, uh, go to your congregation's Facebook page, uh, get hold of one of the pastors and find out how you can get involved. I'm super excited to be back in the Mark series. It's just absolutely exciting. We're making our way verse by verse through the gospel of Mark, which is the second book in the New Testament after Matthew, if you're looking for it. Andre kicked us off last week just so brilliantly, spoke to us from the first 23 verses of chapter seven and spoke to us about being aware of man-made religion. He spoke to us, he challenged us three ways. He said, beware of doing the right things with the wrong motives, beware of corner-cutting spirituality, and beware of outside-in spirituality. Well, I get to take us through the remaining verses of chapter seven today, but before I do that, let me quickly remind you about some of the big themes that we find in the Gospel of Mark. Firstly, I think it's good for us to remember that when it comes to the gospel of Mark, the big idea running through the gospel is this, the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, you find it right there in the first chapter, verse 14. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. 
The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That's the big idea of Mark. The second thing I want to remind us about is that as Mark's writing this gospel, he's revealing to us verse by verse, story by story, paragraph by paragraph, who Jesus is. Now, imagine we're all in a room together. Can you imagine that? Can you remember what that feels like, the good old days? Now, imagine it's pitch black. You can't see the person sitting next to you. You can't even see your hand in front of your face. Mark, as the writer, is standing next to a light switch, and it's a dimmer switch. And with every verse, with every writing, with every chapter, he's revealing to us something about Jesus. It's like he's turning up the dial just a little bit more all the times. So as he's writing, things that have been hidden suddenly become clear. Things that we haven't been able to stand suddenly come into the light and make more sense. I mean, that's a good approach to take when you're reading through the gospel of Mark. It's also what makes this, this series and the gospel of Mark so life-giving. You know, whether you're already following Jesus and you're, you're wanting to, to, to live for Him, you're wanting to honor Him, you're wanting to align your one and only life with Jesus and what He's doing in, in the world and in your life, or whether maybe you're not yet a Christ follower, maybe you're visiting, you're dialing in, you're asking some questions, you want to find out more about what it means to follow Jesus. The truth is, when we turn up the lights on who Jesus is, things happen in our lives. And today is going to be no different. God wants, us, God wants us to see more. God wants us to learn more. And He's inviting us to embrace the life and teachings of Jesus more. I want to pray for us, and then I'm really going to crack on. Well, Father God, we thank you for the gift of the gospel of Mark God, we pray that as we open your word today, that you would speak to us. More so, God, that you would transform us, that you would convict us, that you would help us to see who you are, what you're doing, and that, God, our hearts and our minds will be malleable before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we're exploring two accounts of healing in Mark chapter 7. I want to share with you my, my big idea for this message. Then what we're going to do is we're going to make our way through these stories. I'm going to spend a little bit more time on the first story. And as we go through these verses, I'm going to be making some commentary as we go. And then I'm going to bring it all together and wrap it up with three applications for our lives today. So as I said, let's start with a big idea for today's message. It's this, Jesus responds to faith. Jesus responds to faith, and he cares more than you can imagine. Well, let's read Mark 7 from verse 24. Jesus left the place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose daughter was possessed by an, e by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet the woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs eat uh, under the table, eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying 
on the bed and the demon had gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk and they begged him to place his hands on the man. After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephata, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. May God bless and speak to us through his word today. So remember our big idea, and we can see unfolding in these stories how Jesus responds to faith and cares more than we can imagine. I'm going to come back to that in a little while. But let's make our way through, these, uh, through the rest of this chapter, verse by verse, starting at verse 24. It says, Jesus left that place, went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and didn't want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence a secret. So here we've got Jesus. He's traveling uh, to Tyre, which is actually a very interesting place. Uh, This region is actually quite antagonistic towards Israel. It's very much a Gentile region, a non-Jewish region. I've actually heard it said that Tyre is a little bit like the Vegas of the ancient world. You know, what happens in Tyre stays in Tyre. It's known for its extreme paganism. But Jesus is looking for some downtime. He's been healing people. He's, combating, he's been combating religious opposition. He's been dealing with dull disciples and he needs some time out. I mean, Mark doesn't tell us if he's taking time out to rest or if he's preparing for what's to come. But as we discover, Jesus is often the worst kept secret and his quiet is short-lived. Let's read on from verse 25. In fact, as soon as she she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Now, this is a very unexpected interruption, not only because Jesus was looking for downtime, but because of what Mark tells us about this lady. She's a Greek woman, from a notoriously pagan region whose daughter is possessed by an evil spirit. I mean, when it comes to to first century Jewish customs and paradigms, this woman has possibly the worst CV ever to, to talk to Jesus, to come to Jesus for help. I mean, there was nothing counting for her. Not her gender, not her moral standing, not her religion, uh, racially, ethnicity-wise, nothing was in her favor. The only thing she had was the cover letter of a mother in great need on behalf of a daughter and a kernel of faith that Jesus could help. She earnestly begs him for help. She, she just bashes through all of these boundaries because of a great need. I think any parent can identify with, any parent can identify with the lengths we'll go to for the sake of our kids. Well, let's see what happens. Verse 27. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. I mean, Jesus brushes her off and he does it seemingly very offensively, calling her a dog. I mean, what's happening here? 
Is Jesus really insulting her so harshly? Now, of course, we've got to remember that, that we're spanning centuries here. So this can seem a bit more harsh than what was intended when it was first written. So here's three reasons why I don't think Jesus is simply insulting her. Firstly, I think what happens here is that Jesus is entering into a one-sentence parable. Remember, a parable is when Jesus uses a story or an illustration to help us understand a deeper truth. The second thing is the Greek word used here for dog is actually the diminutive form of dog. So Jesus isn't speaking about you know, a ravenous street dog that's, that's out of control. He's actually talking about a puppy, a little dog. And he's talking about it in, in uh, kind of the atmosphere of a household. It, it wasn't that usual to have pets in the first century, but not unheard of. And so Jesus is kind of speaking to her as, as a puppy, someone uh, in the house. But then thirdly, Jesus refers to this, this puppy as someone who is under care. In other words, Jesus saying they will be fed, just not right now. So he, he's kind of brushing off and saying, sorry, can't help you right now. It's a little bit like phoning in the call center at one minute past five on a Friday afternoon. You get that message. Thank you for your call. It's so important to us. Our office hours is between eight and five, Monday to Friday. Please wait Saturday, Sunday, and call us again on Monday. Now, the amazing thing about what happens here is that this woman is not put off at all. Let's keep reading 28. She said, yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Now, this is truly remarkable. And for many reasons, you know, she's a Gentile. She's a woman. She understands that there's social constructs, background standards, paradigms that, that put her in a box that makes her very unlikely to receive the help that she needs. She even seems to accept the, the derogatory statement that Jesus makes about her being a puppy. But she's a mom in need, and she has a need that she needs to bring to God. And so she pushes through, she endures. She, yes, she understands that Jesus came first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. But she simply asks Jesus, therefore, for, for a foretaste of what's to come. She said, Jesus, it doesn't have to be, you know, this or that or them and us. We can all benefit in some way now in the meantime. I mean, talk about great faith. What's, what's incredible is that this is actually the first time we read about someone who hears a parable and in the moment correctly understands it, grasps it in real time and responds appropriately with faith. If you've been tracking with us through the gospel of Mark, you can see the irony here. Jesus has been opposed by his own religious leaders, doubted by his family, followed by crowds for all the wrong reasons, only partially understood by his disciples. Yet here's this complete outsider, this most unlikely hero who gets it in a moment and responds with great faith. I mean, Jesus is building on what we learned about last week, that it's not what's on the outside that defiles us, it's what's in our hearts. And then we see Jesus' magnificent response. He responds to her faith. Jesus just loves her response. And, he, and through that faith, he grants her the freedom for a daughter. Talk about an unlikely hero, an unlikely interaction. I just love it. 
Okay, let's move on to the second story Mark records for us. It's, it's shorter, but no less impactful. Verse 31, Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre, went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hands on the man. So Jesus travels to a different region. He's actually been here before. Uh, Decapolis, this is the home of the demoniac that you might have read about, who Jesus delivers from a legion of demons. And after that incredible encounter of deliverance, that man goes throughout the region telling people what Jesus has done. So, so as he goes into this region, people know who he is. People know what he can do. There's probably great excitement. There's great crowds that are starting together. And just like our first story, uh, we have someone who brings the need of another to him. Let's read from verse 33. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. I can't even imagine what that looked like. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and said, Ephata, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. I mean, what an incredible and powerful miracle of healing. And let's be quite honest, very unusual. Definitely not COVID compliant in any way. I don't know that you're going to learn about this methodology or this approach often. I haven't seen this kind of healing methodology in any healing seminar I've ever heard or been to. There's fingers in the ears, there's spits, uh, you know, there's fingers on tongues. But then Jesus speaks and this incredible thing happens. Verse 36, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, again, this is a common scene in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus telling people not to spread the news about what's happening, about what he's done. And we've got to remember what Jesus is doing, through the, uh, what Mark is doing through the Gospel uh, through this gospel, he's slowly revealing, turning up the lights on who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world. Jesus isn't trying to build a large following just yet. You know, his miracles, his healings, these signs and wonders are not what Jesus wants to turn the lights on. His focus is on the cross. All of these miracles, these happenings, these signs and wonders point to something greater that Jesus really wants to highlight. See, miracles, they give us a foretaste of the bodies and lives that we can expect that await us. They're first fruits of a coming age where God will make all things right and true. Jesus is not simply a miracle worker. He is God and he is a savior. People looking on are absolutely amazed. And despite the command that Jesus gives them not to tell anyone, they're so overwhelmed with amazement that they go out and they keep talking about it. Okay, those are the verses that we're going to be speaking about. I want us to ask ourselves, what are we to make of these accounts? Remember, our big idea is, is that Jesus responds to faith and cares more than we can imagine. But, but what does that mean for us as as Christ following uh, South Africans living in Cape Town in 2020 or wherever it is that you might be joining us from. Well, the first thing I want to say is that Jesus loves and responds to faith. 
There's so many layers to this truth. Uh, It's so incredible. I just want to outline a few of them. Firstly, I want to speak to you if you're not yet a Christ follower. Maybe you you haven't yet placed your faith in Christ. Maybe you're looking in uh, to what it means to follow Him, trying to find out more about God. Well, I want to say to you that today Jesus is inviting you to place your faith in Him, to trust in Him regardless of your gender, regardless of your nationality, your moral standing, your social standing, or even your life choices, Jesus is inviting you to trust in Him and respond by faith. I want us to read Romans 10, verse 9. It says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Let's jump to verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Credible scriptures. You see, faith is believing in your your heart that on the cross, Jesus died for your sins. See, the truth is we're all born and live in a state of rebellion against God's design, against God's intention for our lives. We forge our own lives ignoring or blind to the love of the one who gave us breath, to the love of our heavenly Father. It's, it's called sin. This is the essence of sin. And our sin separates us from God and puts us on a, on a collision course, puts us at odds with our creating Father in, in ways that have devastating consequences for us. But, but the story doesn't end there. In great love, God moves towards humanity. God moves towards me and God's moving towards you today. You see, the penalty for our rebellion, the penalty for forging our own life for sin is death. And Jesus sent Jesus, uh, the Father sent Jesus to die the death that we should have died so that we didn't have to. In order that we can experience life and life to the full as God created us to experience. God wants to give us life. And it goes on to say, it's, it's confessing with your mouth that you receive this precious gift of salvation personally. You see, Jesus didn't just die for the sins of the world. Jesus died for me and Jesus died for you. Jesus doesn't just love the world, he loves you. Jesus doesn't just wanna restore the world, he wants to restore you to an intimate, dynamic and loving relationship with your heavenly Father who made you, who knows you, and who deeply loves you and longs for you. I wanna say to you, God will meet you as you respond in faith in incredible ways. Jesus rescued this woman's daughter and Jesus will rescue you. I was 16 16 years old when I placed my faith in Christ and my life has never been the same. Christ is an anchor for my life. I've experienced life and life to the full. I've experienced a a spiritual connection with the one who made me, with the one who created me that is constantly transforming and changing me and allowing me to experience true joy, deep satisfaction, purpose. Yeah, there's ups and there's downs, but God rescued me and God wants to rescue you. Jesus has come for all and everyone. Despite your gender, your race, your social standing, your morality, it doesn't matter. He, he loves you. 
He wants to set you free through the forgiveness of your sins and lead you into the way of life to the full. Okay, let me speak to Christ followers. I'm sure most of you that are, that are listening are Christ followers. You know, we're people who want to imitate the life of Jesus, who want to do what Jesus did. And one of the main things we're learning from this text, from these stories, is that our faith is really important to Jesus. And what's far less important to Jesus are the social constructs and norms and paradigms that tend to separate and divide us in our culture. Think about Jesus and how he responds to this woman. He responds to her faith not her ethnicity, not her race, not her socioeconomic status, not her nationality, her geography, not her gender, her morality, her religion. In fact, Jesus crosses all of these boundaries, breaks through all of these constructs to respond to her faith and to meet her needs. I wanna say to us as Christ followers, we can sometimes live allowing the constructs and the paradigms of our day to separate us from even Christ followers who share our faith. And we just can't let this happen. Not if we want to live the kind of life that Jesus lived. Through faith in Christ, we have more in common with other Christ followers than anything that can ever separate us. And at the, in, at, in danger of repeating myself, I'm talking about things like race, social status, economic standing, morality, sexuality, gender. We have more in common with Christ followers than anything that can ever separate us. We imitate Jesus when we don't allow these constructs and these paradigms of our day to impede us, loving and serving and responding to those in need, especially those who share our faith. We need to see that the love of God, the confession of our faith enables us, but not even enables us, it, it, it compels us, it charges us to break down these dividing walls of hostility that just don't glorify God. I just want to stop here for a second. I want to ask, how are you doing here? Think about your life for just a moment, particularly as a South African Christ follower living in Cape Town. Are you maybe placing too much value on, on external markers, on social struct, uh, structures and constructs that so neatly continue to divide and separate us? Honestly, I, I have been, and I continue to pray, asking God to heal my eyes, to heal my heart and my mind. I mean, amongst many things. I think of how I treat people of different socioeconomic standings, how I can separate people and think differently about people. I have to be honest. I've been radically impacted by apartheid, even all these years later. Man, I'm asking God for healing. I'm asking God for wholeness. I'm asking God to transform me in a way that changes everything about how I live my life and relate to other people especially Christ followers. Okay, here's the second thing I want us to take away today. Persist in prayer on behalf of others. If I'm honest with you, this was my biggest takeaway. This is the thing that really spoke to me the most. It might be different for you. This passage is meant to encourage us to pray for others and to bring them and their needs before God. Now, truth be told, I don't think personally I've been as fervent or faithful in my prayers for friends for family, especially for my kids, as I think I should have been. 
I, I get it. It's, it's difficult for us in many ways. You know, maybe we're, we're still that instant generation who kind of wants to pray once and, and see things happen. And if, if things don't quite happen, we tend to grow weary, we get distracted, we lose focus, you know, it can take too long. Maybe there's setbacks, maybe circumstances. And as we look at people's lives, we think that, you know, nothing changes, that maybe it's a lost cause. And so we, we move on. We don't see the change we want and it discourages us. But think about this woman for a moment. She got brushed off by Jesus. I mean, talk about being as discouraged as you can be. But she persists. She pushes through and God grants her the request she needs. Jesus gives her something that no other human means could give her. Through the prayer of a mother, a daughter is healed. Well, what about through the prayers of brothers, sisters, moms, dads, friends, colleagues, fellow citizens? God can do in our lives and in this world what cannot be attained through any other means. Let's not forget James 5.16. The prayer of a righteous man or woman is powerful and effective. Michael Eaton, he reminds us, uh, here's a quote. It says, faith argues with God on the basis of his character. We contend in prayer on the basis of who God is and we continue to persist and trust in him. I love his commentary on this text. He speaks about, you know, when it comes to healing or praying for the needs of others, he says, who needs to have the faith? And he says, anybody needs to have the faith. I mean, in these stories, we see that it's, it's the faith of a mother that impacts a daughter. I mean, think about the implications of that for a moment. This morning, we had our, our corporate prayer time. And, and, and I remember just thinking about this text and thinking when we pray for our church, we can have faith on behalf of others. I mean, that's why corporate prayer is such a big thing for us, that we're praying and contending, even for those who may not have the same level of faith or the same level of conviction, we can stand on behalf of a community of people and God can respond to our faith. Think about your friends, think about your loved ones who may not have faith at this moment. Maybe they've never experienced faith in Christ. Maybe they're battling your faith can have a radical impact on their lives because Jesus loves and responds to faith. And so we persist. Our prayers matter. They can have a great impact. You know, as I was preparing this, I had a particular group of people in mind. And I'm thinking about mothers and fathers who have kids that have either wandered from the faith or haven't come to faith and, 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 and you've maybe been crying out to God for them. Maybe you've lost a bit of hope. Maybe you've lost a bit of steam. Maybe you've got a friend or two that you've been praying for and, and maybe you're, you're just growing weary. I wanna say to you, don't grow weary. Persist in your prayers. Have faith on behalf of others. God loves and responds to faith. And so we can persist. Okay, thirdly and finally, Jesus cares about you more than you can imagine. Think about this man in the second story. He's deaf, he's mostly mute. If ever there was someone who could think, you know, God doesn't care, who could harbor anger and resentment to God, who could be shaking an angry fist at God, wondering how can you let this happen to me? What has he done to deserve this curse? That's not what we see in this picture. We see someone who moves towards God who presses into him with the help of some friends. And as he does that, he discovers that God cares more than he imagined. Let's just think about this for a second. Jesus takes the man away from the crowd 
I mean, that's a very interesting commentary. Jesus is dealing with someone. He's not just dealing with a, a crowd of people and a crowd of need. You know, Jesus normally, as he heals, he would just speak a word of healing and the healing would happen. But remember, this man is deaf. So Jesus touches him, touches his ears, touches his tongue. It's like you're catching a glimpse, a glimpse of empathy, of care, of personal response and awareness. And then also through this miracle, you see Jesus looking up to heaven and he sighs a deep sigh. It's a little unusual. You're picking up a longing from Jesus, a desire for something. I mean, think about it. He's about to perform this incredible ministry that's going to amaze people. But you get the sense that Jesus is, is in a moment entering into this man's pain that he's identifying and, and, and mourning and lamenting over the brokenness of the world and longing for a new day for all of humanity. It reminds us also that our, our true hope comes from heaven, comes from a loving father who cares about us. I mean, he's going off scripture. He, he, he's acting on his compassion, on his care. And we see this incredible miracle. You see, Jesus cares more than you can imagine. So let me ask you, are you experiencing great pain? Are you suffering? Are you experiencing great setback? You know, the devil wants you to believe that God simply doesn't care, but it's not true. It's not true at all. God cares deeply about your life, your circumstances. He sighs over your life as he contends for you with the heart of the Father. And sometimes we can't hear that sigh because like the deaf man, our, our pain and our struggle kind of, kind of deafens us to, to who God is and what God's doing. But nonetheless, he's sighing over your life. You know, Christ gave everything so that we could be certain, that we can know that he cares about us, that he long, loves us and longs for us to be whole. Charles Spurgeon, he, he says this, when you cannot trace his hand, Trust his heart. Sometimes life doesn't make sense to us. Things don't make sense to us. The experiences we've got that are, that are hurting us, that are painful, we, you know, we struggle to see where God's hand is in all this. Has God lost control? Well, no, no. When life knocks us back, when things get tough, we need to trust the heart of God. We need to know that Jesus cares more than we can imagine. Okay, let me wrap up our message for today. The big idea was, was Jesus responds to faith, that he cares more than we can imagine. And, and, I, and I gave three applications. The one is Jesus loves and responds to faith, that he loves and responds to faith. Maybe today is the day of your salvation. You can simply pray a prayer wherever you are. You can simply invite God into your life. You can say, can pray a prayer along these lines. You can even pray it now that just says, says, Father, I recognize your love for me. I recognize that I've rebelled, that I've ignored, that I've, I've lived my own life, but Father, I wanna come back to you. I see that Jesus died on the cross, a death that, that I should have died, that he died for, for my sins. And God, I receive your gift of salvation. You can pray a prayer that just says, God, I invite you into my life. I invite you to teach me more about who you are. I invite you to teach me what it is to experience life and life to the full God. I, I pray that you would encounter and meet me 
in incredible ways. You can pray that prayer right where you are. And then for Christ followers, we were reminded to imitate Jesus and how we live and relate to others, especially Christ followers. And then we persist in prayer on behalf of others. And we need to know that Jesus cares more than you can imagine. And so, Father, we, we thank you for uh, the time we've had together today. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for these encouragements. And God, we pray that we would be transformed and changed for your glory with our one and only lives. Amen. Just two next steps, and uh, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand over. Christ followers, let's be doers of the word and not hearers only, as James warned us. Let's make sure that we're responding. Let's make sure that we're, that we're going to God throughout this week, whether we're taking time aside. Let's respond to God. Let's write down some next steps. Let's take action. And then, hey, maybe you responded to the gospel for the very first time today. I want to give you a few next steps. First, I want to say to you, tell someone about it. I mean, this is such an exciting moment. If you have a family member who's a Christ follower, a friend, an acquaintance, a, a colleague, uh, you know, get hold of them. Tell them what you experienced today, that you've surrendered your life to God. You can pray. That's starting to talk to God, continually inviting God to reveal yourself to Him. I want to say to you, start reading the Scriptures. Uh, in a moment, you're going to hear about an Ignite booklet that can really help you take those first few steps in getting into the Scriptures. And then I want to say to you, consider finding a local church. Maybe there's a common ground near you. Maybe there's another church that you've heard about down the road. I want to encourage you to, to start going along. Start getting into the community. Start learning more about God. And I'm trusting God's going to meet you in incredible ways. Well, thank you guys so much. Such a privilege to be with you today. God bless.